Welcome to the Grappling Discourse Podcast. Today, I want to talk about abusive coaching. This is a difficult episode to do for a couple of reasons. The first being this can be defined by different people to mean different things. Like what is abusive coaching? Because one person might deem something a coach does as unacceptable, while another person might have zero issue with it. And the relationship between the coach and student also is so important. And I always say that I think it's one of the strongest bonds uh, that a human can have is to learn and to be coached by somebody, especially if that relationship has been going on for, for years. There's just a lot of trust there. And I mean, a coach may uh, is, is supposed to try and bring out the best in you and they're supposed to challenge you. And some coaches... Um, <laughs> They, they do different things to do that. And my style of coaching is pretty laid back. Like I'm a pretty chill dude. But I always try to be 100% honest with the athletes, but I've never cussed out one of my athletes. I've never got physical with one of my athletes. Um, but my big thing is, is that, you know, if they ask my opinion, I always try to give it to them straight and I will tell them the truth about their performances, whether we're talking about practice or just their attendance, the things they've been working on, or especially after a competition. There have been times an athlete has won, and I've told them that they had a poor showing, that that wasn't their best, and we're just, you know, we're going to go back, we're going to fix some mistakes. And then there's been times after a loss. And typically now I give the athlete the night. I tell people I'm not a cheerleader, so I'm not going to just no matter what be like, you did amazing. And like an athlete really doesn't want to hear that. I hear this from all the people I work with. They hate when they're just bombarded by text messages after a loss. And they know that you're coming from a good place, but at the same time, that it's just not what they want to hear, especially right after the match. And so I've taken that feedback and I, I give them space. I'm not again going to go up and like, you had a terrible performance. If they did, I give them the day. And then we always, the next day, um, you know, I'll share my thoughts on the performance. And there's been times after losses where I'm like, uh, the next day I'm like, Hey, like you performed very well. You just came out on the short end of this one. But again, there's been times I'm like, hey, like it just wasn't a good performance. Uh, you know, talk to me about what happened in there. But for years, guys, I have heard stories of John Donaher being very difficult to work with. For years, I've heard, um, you know, it's different stories about, uh, you know, John getting very angry with students about, uh, you know, just going against his wishes and competing in things that he didn't think they were ready for. Maybe he wanted another student to enter that competition and not them. And he was very, very unhappy uh, with the person that, uh, you know, went against his wishes. I've heard, uh, you know, about John being upset with people that cross train that have gone to other gyms, rival gyms and shown some of his systems. I've heard, you know, John's pretty rough with his ukis. The uki is the person that the teacher shows the movement on. And so, you know, whenever John's showing a technique, if that person reacts poorly or just does something that, uh, you know, goes against what John was wanting to th them to do, he can get a little hands on, you know, you might give him a little slap to the back of the head or a little slap 
to just refocus them and let them know that they did wrong. And there have been other stories, uh, but the thing that's that's funny about John I, I, is how fascinated everyone is with him. And I mean, rightfully so. I mean, John Donner, or excuse me, Joe Rogan said this best about John. He's like, look, John Donner here is a one in a billion type person. How many PhD guys that were going to get their PhD in philosophy quit, find Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, spend all their life, literally focus everything in on one task, and that is to get better at the art of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and teaching the art of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He has no kids. He has no wife, zero family, never takes vacations, or if he does, it's very, very rarely. And he's a minimalist. He only wears rash guards. I've heard crazy things like he only has like one spoon and one fork and that his house is bare. And I don't know how much of his legend is not, but people are fascinated by that. Anytime you go outside the norm of society, I mean, people are interested in you. And especially when you become a high performer in such a fascinating art like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I mean, there's a reason that for years people on forums have always been like, hey, like even before John became famous with the DDS and his coaching prowess and, you know, now that he's made millions off his DVDs, like before that people would be like on some of these forums, like, hey, who's this John guy I hear about at Henzo Gracie? He's like a foreigner. He's from like Australia or New Zealand or something like that. He does like, does some nogi, does a lot of leg locks. Um, you know, people were always interested in him. But these stories were coming out back then. You know, I, I, I remember, again, some of the controversies with some of his early students. And, you know, people have left and people have told stories about, you know, training under John and leaving John. But jiu-jitsu has entered a new age where there's really been this big boom. COVID was in a lot of ways, and I hate to say this because I know a lot of gyms were really negatively affected by COVID. You know, there were many gyms that didn't make it after the lockdown, but if you did, I think a lot of gyms really um, have done well since because everyone was stuck inside. I feel like so many people were just sitting, contemplating life. They were bored. They wanted to change. They wanted to do something different. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu really started to explode because of the popularity of some of the podcasts, like obviously the Joe Rogan show, but you talk about Jocko and Tim Ferriss, and there's so many now. And now we're talking about Elon Musk and Zuckerberg getting in a fight. Um, and, you know, they're talking about MMA. And I know tons of like, I just saw like Mike and Musumichi spent some time with Zuckerberg. Um, I mean, Jiu-Jitsu is at the forefront of you know people's mind they're just seeing it all the time and hearing about it all the time and then the first sport that came back i mean i think the first sporting event that was live that i know of was submission underground somehow chel sonnen ran a submission underground event in oregon at some secret location and I had uh, a couple of people I know competed on that event and they talk about how crazy it was and how secret it was and how you like no one was supposed to know the location until the day of the event. They just had to do all these things so they didn't get shut down. But that was like the first thing I could remember. And then the first of like the major sports in the United States was the UFC and it was on ESPN. And so, you know, people were watching the UFC because it was the only 
new live sporting event that was on for a couple of months. And the sport grew tremendously from that. So there's so many white and blue belts. And I feel like a lot of those people, they just, they don't understand the history of jujitsu and they just have, they haven't been in the game very long. And so most of them think of John Donahue as this saint or kind of like this Yoda-like figure because they've bought his instructional. He's this philosophical guy. He seems super calm and chill in these instructionals. And you know, they listen to him talk about progress and they listen to him on the Joe Rogan show. And they're like, this guy is a philosophical teacher and he is the best thing that ever happened to jujitsu. And I just think Don Donahue is amazing. And I've seen people get on, like, they'll be like, get on Gordon's page or Gordon will, you know, be talking trash to Galvao or whoever. And people all the time this happens, people will go, I can't believe you're a black belt under John Donner here. John Donner here is such a respectable, good person. And he's such a light in this community. And here you are talking trash and, you know, doing all this, saying all these crazy things um, and, you know, just being mean to people. And John Donner here would never do that. I can't believe that, you know, you're, you're showing, uh, you're, you're shaming your instructor and how have you not learned better from John Donner here? But I'm like, man, I've heard some crazy stories about John Donner here. And it doesn't surprise me at all that, you know, he's, I mean, Gordon kind of acts the way he does. And, uh, that's a whole nother story. You know, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I mean, there's definitely been things that Gordon Ryan has just done a phenomenal job with uh, over these past six, seven years. But anyways, that's not what we're talking about today. But it's just always kind of funny to me, uh, you know, that a lot of these people like see him as this saint figure and he's human guys. Uh, But I get it. He is like, we want to believe that he is this like monk like figure that only does jujitsu and only does good, you know, and he only chases the good. But a story came out, and it came from the B Teams, um, the B Teams podcast channel. It was on YouTube, and people were sharing it, and it got shared a little bit. It's been taken down now, but people have saved the video, and they were interviewing the B Team guys, Nikki Rod and uh, you know Ethan Curlinston, their podcast, not Craig's, but theirs. They were interviewing Robert Deagle. Now, Robert Deagle is a Former New Wave student, I guess DDS. Now, the DDS is really tricky, for me at least, because it's like, who was actually part of the DDS? There was tons of people that claimed it, especially there was a time it was super cool to claim to be a part of the DDS. But there were only four true members, four senior members. And I know that still confuses a lot of people now with New Wave, like, who are the actual, like, is this guy a junior? Is this guy a senior? Well, back then, it was the original guy, like Eddie Cummings and George St. Pierre, really the first two. Then Gary Tonin joined. And then the last was Gordon Ryan. Those were the big four. And then juniors, there were, again, a lot of people that would be like, I mean, they would cross-train with them, and they would, you know, maybe train once or twice a week, and they would start putting DDS on their profile, or they would start trying to get matches claiming to represent the DDS. But... You know, that was always so confusing to me. I know junior wise, like the guys I really consider is Ethan Krillinston for sure. Oliver Taza, Nikki Ryan, I guess Damien. 
um, a little bit, but but especially those three dudes. Um, and there were a couple of other guys way back in the day that that were a big part of that room. But those were like kind of the big three, especially Taza, Krillinston, and Nikki Ryan. They were having a lot of success. Um, at a lot of like the local sub only scene or just I should say the regional sub only scene and then they were doing some super fights and, and really beating some impressive guys but they didn't have the success of the four senior members um, obviously <laughs> with George St. Pierre being maybe the greatest mixed martial artist of all time and then Gordon Gary and Eddie Cummings but anyways Deagle spent a lot of time um, training with especially Eddie Cummings. And he tells the story in the podcast. You guys can go listen to it. It's a pretty interesting listen. But he tells the story, you know, that he really was seeking out Eddie Cummings because he was got fascinated in leg locks and he heard about this Eddie guy. And anyways, um, he goes and starts training with Eddie. But he was talking about um, in this clip that has been shared and people have been talking about um, that he saw one time. John was using Eddie as his Uki and he got pretty aggressive with Eddie. He was pulling his hair and he slapped him, you know, a couple times. And the pulling the hair thing, you know, I, I had never seen anybody pull hair, you know? Um, and I think we can say, well, we've seen John be pretty aggressive, uh, towards, Placido in those BJJ fanatics. I somebody has has made some clips that they've run together because Placido has been his uki for multiple of those instructionals that he's done, and there's been a handful of times that John has been pretty perturbed by the reactions he's gotten from Placido, and it, it definitely is a kind of a funny watch, and at times it's maybe a little uncomfortable, but. Uh, yeah, like you can see him, especially in his class setting, he's having a bad day. He's got his hips aching or his knees aching or whatever. And, you know, he, he gives a little slap and does a little hair pull to Eddie Cummings, but people were like just blown away. They couldn't believe that that was true. And then people are like, I want to hear more stories. And so then people have talked about like, look, that's, it's always been a part of John. Like everybody's known that for a long time. And there's people at Henzo's that stopped training with him for various reasons. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. The thing that we got to understand about John Donner here is he is a huge fan of Eastern philosophies and especially like Eastern martial arts. You know, he really is a big fan of like Japanese culture. And we see that with how he still kind of reveres the, um, you know, the people that came before us, you know, those old Japanese jujitsu um, and judokos who, all, you know, a lot of the, the early movements that we still use uh, came from them. And so, you know, John is and a lot of people make fun of him and them for this, but they use a lot of the Japanese names still for some of the movements. But I say this to say that, you know, John um you know, I think he kind of treats his students, you know, a little bit more like, like an Eastern cultural teacher would, you know, because just think about a martial arts movie. How many martial art movies have you seen where we just take a white guy? He's interested in learning, you know, karate or some form of karate. And he goes, he tries to find a teacher. He wants to learn how to fight. And in his mind, he's like, I'm going to go in there. He's going to teach me a couple moves and I'm going to be a badass. The guy goes in, he finds his teacher. 
the guy, you know, just kind of reluctant to teach him. He doesn't think that he's serious about it. He agrees, though, for whatever reason. He agrees to take this pupil underneath his wing. They always do a bunch of, like, one-on-one lessons. And during those lessons, he's trying to teach him to focus and to pay attention. And when they don't, like, the dude, I mean, I've seen it in just the movies, and I'm assuming that there's some basis in real life. The dude will just whack, whack his student with a stick. Or he'll just, you know, kind of slap him in the back of the head. Like, I just think that's kind of a customary thing for that culture. And I think that's just something John's taken from them is that, you know, that that's just kind of how they discipline and how they um, kind of try to teach through that negative reinforcement. Like, hey, you did this poor movement. Like, I'm going to give you a little slap. Like, don't do that again. Hey, what are you doing? Like, pay attention. You should know how to move through this. And I, I've, I don't have really that big an issue, you know, because um, John, you got to understand, this is why I was saying, like, I, I know some people here, like, he was pulling his hair. Trust me, I would never, like, there's some people like me, like, I wouldn't thrive underneath a coach like that. And I don't think just because you would say no, like, I, I don't want, you know, I, I wouldn't do well in an atmosphere like that. That doesn't make you, like, people be like, yeah, it means you're a pansy. You know, you can't handle, you can't take a little bit. Like, no, that's just, I wouldn't do well in that environment. And I definitely don't like feeling like I'm disrespected. And that's a big thing for me. And so if I had a coach do that, um, I probably wouldn't go back. But at the same time, you know, I don't have that relationship. Like if I went to John's class and he did it to me first time, like I was there, I would never come back. But who knows? Maybe if I'd been there a couple of years, because here's the thing about John is he's there every day with these guys. He's studying matches for them. He's always on the cutting edge of what's new. He really, really, really cares. And that's the thing. If you listen to Gordon Ryan, if you listen to some of the other guys, you know, Bodani, Nicholas Marigali, they all talk about how selfless he is and that he does everything in his power to help them. He never takes vacations. He never takes breaks. He's there seven days a week, and that's super rare. And so they might see it more as like kind of like a parental figure, like, you know, just give them a little slap, like, hey, like, you know, kind of pulling your ear, how your mom used to, like, hey, like, folk like what are you doing you know and so I don't really have an issue with it again it's not something like I'm not gonna start pulling my students air slapping or whatever again not my style I think there's a million different ways uh, effective ways to get through to students and everything but again John uh, it makes sense that he uh, kind of behaves that way at least when it comes to that just because of um, I, I think he really has learned a lot from those Eastern cultures, and I just think that he's, that's something he's picked up. Now, I could be completely wrong, but that's my guess. But here's the thing about it, you know, and this is something I've really wondered because um, I've been thinking about this topic for the past week, and I've actually sat down and tried to do this podcast a couple of different times, but each time there's just different questions that pop up, and um Sometimes I'm just not satisfied after a recording. I'll just scrap it and try again the next day. And that's what I've done quite a few times with this one because I've thought a lot about that because there have been people that, again, have left John, like high-level competitors like John Calistine, Mike DeVia. They had issues with him and left. Um, But then you got guys like Gordon Ryan who, like, love John Donahue. You got Oliver Taza who loves John Donahue. And I wonder... 
is it because, especially when you talk about like Gordon Ryan, is it because he's the golden boy? Like, is Gordon Ryan treated differently than Placido? Because I have been underneath different coaches and I've played different sports and I was treated completely differently during my soccer journey compared to my basketball journey. Growing up playing soccer, I was always one of the best on my team. Always. I was a big time goal scorer as a playmaker. And when I went to high school, I went to a pretty big high school. I, uh, freshman year, I made both the, I made the varsity soccer team and then I made the freshman and I would play a little bit with JV, got very, very few minutes <laughs> playing JV. Um, definitely not start. I never started or anything like that, but you know, I got some, some late minutes in there occasionally, but anyways, I was the leading goal scorer as a freshman on our freshman team. We had the best season um, in the school's history. And then sophomore year, I was the captain of the team. And I was captain of the team for the next three years. I set the record for goals uh, for my high school as well as assists. I was named All-State, yada, 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 right? What I'm saying is, is that I was the best player by far. And coaches treated me differently than the other athletes. I was just always kind of given the golden spoon. I was, you know, I've always been like very serious about training and stuff, but there were definitely times I was kind of a jerk. And, um, you know, if I showed up a couple minutes late, no big deal. If I wanted to do a different drill than what the team was doing, like I could do that. You know what I'm saying? I just had a lot of leeway. Where in basketball, that was not the case. And I actually have a pretty crazy story from my freshman year that really turned me off from basketball. My uh, high school basketball team was very good. My freshman and sophomore year, the varsity team was ranked number one in the state both of those years. Um, They had really good uh, state tournament runs. And we're talking about, you know, the state of Kentucky, which basketball is king. So a lot of good high school basketball in Kentucky. Um, we had multiple guys on uh, that team go off and play Division I college. Um, really good team. Well, the head coach was this tiny old guy. Like this dude was like 65, and he was probably 5'4". And he was a giant asshole. He was an abusive coach, very abusive. He uh, was terrifying. He had a lot of people scared. And what's crazy is, is like outside of basketball, like if you had him in class, which I'm going to tell a story in a second, because he was my freshman history teacher. Like he was a super nice guy, great teacher, funny, um, just super laid back in class. But man, on the basketball court, he was a, uh, I mean, he was just a tyrant. And he would get on people, you know. But at the same time, you know, we had one guy in particular who was a really good player. And he went on to play Division One. He made it to like a Sweet 16 uh, during his college run. And he was a, a major player on that team. So dude was super good. And he got treated differently. Like, yeah, the coach would get on his ass a little bit. But it was usually very playful. And it was just very different compared to a couple of the other guys that were playing varsity that were more role players. Like a couple of those got, guys got just their butts chewed on a regular basis. And he just always found a way to get onto these dudes. And 
the way the practices were set up is we all practiced together, the freshman team, the JV team, and the varsity team, and we really were just cannon fodder for the varsity team. We scrimmaged a lot. We did a lot of like uh, mini drills or just like half-court drills. But the thing about the practices were that they were no fouls. No fouls were ever called. And I'm talking about you could just straight up undercut people. You could shove people. You could hit them in the nuts. Like that was a super routine thing. And so you had to learn real quickly to have some thick skin and you had to learn how to battle it out. And as a 15-year, you know, 14, 15-year-old freshman, you know, looking at some of these 17-year, 18-year-old people, I mean, that's a time in your life where you look at somebody like that and you're like, that's a grown-ass dude. You know, I just started shaving some of the... (laughs) The, the my pencil mustache and these dudes got full grown beards they've got muscles like I, I ain't got none of that you know but you had to learn how to fight and he really fostered that atmosphere so the team was tough but man it was a dog eat dog environment and I mean it definitely chewed people uh, up and, and spit them out but this dude, I mean, again, he was just very, especially verbally, very, very, very hard on us and different people. And there was one time I had been, uh, so the way it worked was I played uh, soccer first. So soccer and basketball were the first sports of the year. Um, I led the team in goals and assists. So I was kind of being known as an athlete. And I'd already made the basketball team, um, again, much worse skill-wise at basketball. But I was already on the team. And uh, I'd made it that summer, so I didn't need to try out again. But anyways, after the season, we went right into basketball season. And so I just went from being praised all the time to now I'm like one of the low guys on the totem pole. I'm like the sixth or seventh man on the freshman team and barely getting, you know, a minute, a couple minutes here and there uh, for JV. I just I wasn't I wasn't anybody. Well, two weeks into the season. Okay, two weeks into the season, uh, as I said, I had this coach as my history teacher. Super chill guy during history class. And he asked me, it was a Friday, and we were talking. Um, it was a kind of like a laid back class. Um, and he, we were talking the uh, last couple of minutes of class, and he asked me, it was like, hey, what do you think we should do during practice today? And I was, you know, and he was like kind of smiling and I just kind of, I was like, oh man, like it'd be awesome. It's Friday. It'd be awesome if we just scrimmaged all practice. And he was like, oh, is that what you think we should do? And I was like, yeah, like it'd be super fun. You know, Friday, you know, we'll do some, I, I love scrimmaging. That's always my favorite part. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, I'll think about it. Maybe we'll do it. Well, get to practice, change out. We're all like lined up and he comes out. And he goes into a 10-minute rant where he is just cussing me. I'm talking in front of everyone. I'm just a freshman. I'm a baby on this team. I'm a nobody, really. And he is just cussing me. He's like, there is some effing freshman here that thinks we're good enough to skip our skill training today and that we should just scrimmage today. There's somebody here that has that mindset that we're good enough to just scrimmage and that we should have a fun scrimmage day. And he's staring at me the entire time. So everyone's looking at me and I'm telling you, it just goes on. It's one of those things just felt like it went on forever. And I was mortified, you know, and 
um, you know, I went on to play, uh, you know, and he actually called me out like in front of everybody and was just like, step out here, Matt Scav. Tell them, do you think that we're good enough? And again, I'm a, a nobody on the freshman team. But anyways, I went on that season. Um, I had a couple of really good games for the freshman team. Um, last game of the season, I, I scored 25 points and we beat this undefeated team in the last regular it was a uh, last regular season. And then in the tournament, we didn't do very well in the freshman tournament. I think we lost our first game. But um, I was kind of done with basketball. Like, I just – I knew going back next year, and I just saw how this guy treated um, some of the guys, especially, like, on the varsity team and guys that were, like, role players and stuff like that. And I knew that I – that was going to be, like, my future. If I just stayed on the team, this guy was going to treat me like like crap. And I was just really going to be there as kind of cannon fodder for the other guys. And I was just going to basically going to be a dude that just played defense and was just chasing around, you know, dudes on the perimeter and helping them get better. And I'm a team player and everything, but at the same time, I was excelling in soccer. And so I was like, screw this. I'm just going to, I'm going to play more soccer. And that's when I kind of decided to give up basketball. But I, I say that story to, to really um, illustrate again, that idea of like, Athletes are treated differently, especially I feel like by abusive coaches or people that, you know, maybe do some abusive coaching tactics. The best guys, a.k.a. Gordon Ryan, like I just wonder, is he treated differently than John Donahue? Like if Gordon was ookying for John and he didn't do something quite right, you think John would slap him in the back of the head? You think John would pull his hair? You think John would, would get mean with him? Or do you think he would have more leniency? And I've always thought, and I'd always kind of heard stories that, especially like Gordon Ryan, but then Nikki Ryan as well, were, were kind of the golden boys. And they were, when they really started excelling at Henzo's, that John, um, you know, was really kind of enamored by them and saw the talent that they possessed and was really trying to help craft their careers. And, um, and really, um, you know, I always wondered that dynamic with like Eddie Cummings was the golden boy. Gary Tonin was a golden boy, but then Gordon and Nikki came in and it was like, hey, I've got these two young athlete studs that are picking this up at a very fast rate and they're having tons and tons of success. Um, you know, just to me, that's very fascinating. And again, you know, when you see a coach like the way that, I mean, I was treated that day at practice and there were other times like where he blew up at me and everything, but nothing like that. And I just knew, I mean, I'm a nobody on this team. And he's treating me like this, like the more and more that I'm in front of him, because he was he was the varsity coach. He wasn't the freshman coach. But like I told you, we all practice together and the freshman team would have to play defense. We do a lot of defensive drills um, or just a lot of like live drills with the varsity team. And so, yeah, there were definitely times, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, I saw him go off on a couple of my friends that were better than me. Um, and, and I was just like, man, like this just isn't for me. This dude. Uh, I don't know. I just didn't have a lot of respect for him. And, and it just didn't want really any part of, of him as my coach. But there are people that really like it. I mean, I've had athletes come to me and say, hey, if you have to cuss me out, if you want to cuss me out, you can. If you need to get a little physical with me, you can. I'll do anything to get better. And I actually don't mind that. I, I kind of like when a coach gets on to me like that. 
And I'm like, ah, it's not really my style. Like, you're going to have to go somewhere else if you want me to drop, you know, MFers on you and, you know, like blow up on you. <laughs> like, that's not my thing, you know. That's not the way I do things. Um, but, yeah, I, I do find that interesting, you know. At the same time, you know, th- thinking about John Donner here, um, I think he's a phenomenal coach. Um, I, I'm sure there's probably been times he's maybe crossed the lines a little bit, but at the same time, I think you have a very, very tough time to find somebody that cares about his students' progress as much as he does. Now, I definitely think he's a little kind of drac- draconian about, um, and maybe even a, <laughs> a little uh, sociopathic about progress, because I think he cares more about the jujitsu progress than the actual human being. And it just seems like maybe he's kind of like, you know, he, he there's times that he uh, doesn't emphasize, um, empathize is what I meant to say there, um, with the human emotion. Rather, you know, it's all based on that Kaizen idea. Like, we're just getting 1% better every day. We're getting 1% better every day. But at the same time, I've never trained underneath them. So I can't quite, these are, uh, some of this is just speculation. Some of this is just, um, you know, kind of, Using, doing some detective work over the years of just the stories I've heard. And I'm one of those believers that if you hear story after story after story and they're all kind of saying the same thing, there's definitely a lot of truth there. But the big things that I think you should be looking out for. So just to reiterate, I don't think John's like abusive coach by any means. And um, I think he's a very, very good coach. But I can see people especially people that aren't underneath them and not in the room every day. Like, yeah, when you hear about him kind of pulling Eddie Cummings here, that does sound a little crazy. But what does an abusive coach look like? I think the biggest thing is verbally they're trying to always bring you down and they're always trying to bring down your self-worth. And that was something that that high school coach constantly did. He would constantly bring people's intelligence into play. He would constantly bring in like their heart. He would constantly call people like pussies and pansies and stuff like that. To me, that's when you start crossing the line. You know, you can say somebody like, man, that that was a pretty, (laughs) that was a pretty shit performance. Not your best performance, you know, but when you start going, you're such an idiot. You always, and you're constantly like bringing people down. That's the type of language that I find uh, kind of alarming from a coach. And whenever a coach really uh, uses language like that, I think they're kind of setting themselves up to be the master, to be the, the controller of the athlete, you know. And I always want my athletes to feel, um, to just be confident in themselves and to have respect for themselves, you know. And I, I don't want them to be okay with, you know, me going like, hey, like, why are you so stupid? Like, are you stupid? I've told you this five times. Like, are you stupid? How can I get through to you? Man, like, you know, is it because you're a woman? Or is it because, you you know, you didn't go to college? Like, I see why you didn't go to college. Good thing you didn't waste your money doing that. You know, things like that. I'm like, mm, that's, that's super cringy. And I think most people, especially uh, most gyms, I mean, you guys are paying gym memberships. And so I know most of you are like, dude, the last thing I want is my instructor (laughs) doing things like that, you know? Um, but at the same time, um, it's it happens at at some gyms, you know, there are coaches that, that, that behave that way, you know, and that's just the way they do things. So for me, attacking 
the person's self-worth abusive physical when i now getting physical um you know i would say of all the things uh i mean getting physical as in rolling incredibly rough or like trying to make a point by like trying to break a limb or something like that that's not cool that's super unnecessary and I mean, I guess it's the degree of the slap because I already told you guys, like the way John Donahue does it and just the way I saw him do it, like with Placido, like I, I don't think that's abusive. But at the same time, I mean, you're also, there's a thin line right there. There's a very thin line. <laughs> and it, it that wouldn't take much more for me to see, you know, something and be like, damn, okay, that, that's that's pretty crazy, you know. Um, I'm not a fan like of putting hands on students or doing anything like that. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one. Definitely though, um, I've heard stories of coaches rolling with students, trying to put them in their place and trying to hurt students to get authority. And what I mean by that is let's say one of my athletes questioned a armbar technique that I was showing. Or they question like this leg lock technique that I was showing. They go, hey, I saw somebody do this. Um, you know, is this better? Or like, what's the difference between what you're showing and what, you know, Gordon Ryan showed in his DVD? Well, then the coach, what they would do is, is they would be like, okay, well, you know, when we roll, I'll show you. And when they roll, I go as hard as I can. I try to break your leg with that leg lock technique or try to break your arm with this arm bar technique to prove a point and to get control for you to go, Hey, do not question what I'm teaching you. If you do, you're going to pay a price. Fear is an abusive coach's best friend. They're always trying to make you afraid of them. That's how they rule. They rule through fear. And one of the best ways to do that is to threaten people during rolling. And especially if, um, you know, your coach is really good, uh, even if he's not really good. I mean, that's that's a really scary prospect, you know. A lot of times your coach is better than you. Like that's most cases the coach is the best person in the room. And so, hey, defend yourself. You got to defend yourself against the best guy. Like that's really, really tough to do. And, you know, I've heard stories and read stories and I've talked to people that have trained under people like that. And like, yeah, my coach like just kind of lost it and they, they popped my arm. My coach popped my foot. And afterwards, they kind of made it seem like it was my fault. And that's something that a bad like a coach will do is that afterwards, they will have made the mistake. They will have lost their cool or they will have felt disrespected because you challenged them in some way. And then afterwards, they try to act like it's your fault. Like, ugh. Like, can't believe, like, shouldn't have asked me that question about that arm bar. Or do you believe that arm bar works now? Crazy. But that's another big one. And then the last one I'll say is just trying to control. Trying to control where you can train. And making punishments for going against them, you know. So if they say, hey, there is no cross training at this gym across town. Well, one of your best friends, you guys went to high school. You guys have grown up, grew up together. Well, he's into jujitsu and that's where he trains. And he wants you to come cross train one day. You do, you go over there, coach finds out and he tries to punish you in some type of way. 
It could be that aggressive role I just talked about, or it could be he tries to suspend you from the gym or he tries to, you know, he gives you the ultimatum or something like that. And I mean, that's, that's also, uh, you know, some abusive coaching. Um, anytime somebody's trying to, to ground you like your parents would, you know, or try to discipline you like a parent, I, I think that's super, super weird. So guys, be on the lookout for that and just really, you know, I can understand, uh, you know, I, I know some people thrive or they really enjoy those high pressure, those really intense environments. They enjoy kind of those old school football coaches or even that like high school coach I had where, you know, he's going to call you a, a chicken. He always would call people like chicken shits and stuff like that. Be like, you dumbass chicken shit. Like, what are you doing? Like on this play, get your, you know, like, and they would just get them off and he would just give them an earful, you know? Um, but some people are like, man, I really like when coach does that. You know, I feel like it just brings out the best in me and everything like that. Look, there's people wired like that. Not for me, but some people, I don't know. They think that that that's a good environment for them, but yeah, definitely look out for like, is your coach constantly attacking your self-worth and trying to like, you know, just attacking your intelligence, attacking your athleticism, attacking, oh, you're just a, you know, this, 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 and this, you know, he's always trying to bring down your self-esteem. Second thing, did your coach try to physically hurt you at times? If you question him, if you do something against his wishes, is he going to try and jack you up? Is he going to try and make a point during rolling? And is he trying to control you? Are there punishments for going against him? All of those things are super sketchy, and I would really start to think and and really uh, look at, you know, like, hey, is, is my coach abusive or does he just have some, you know, abusive qualities to his coaching? Guys, the PGF is coming up. I am super excited for it. PGF is partnering with um, uh, another big promotion. Um, I'm super excited. Like, Brandon has put tons and tons and tons of work into this. We got a qualifier going down tomorrow. I know this is a way late notice, but it's going down tomorrow in Nashville. Um, but there's a couple of more qualifiers. You guys should jump in. The PGF is the place to get a bunch of highlights, really find out where you're at with your grappling, and just really test yourself physically and mentally. And one of the most grueling grappling uh, events that you know you can do. So if you're 185 pounds or less, enter one of those, um, you know, enter one of those, those uh, PGF qualifiers and try and make a name for yourself. You will not regret it. Until next time, guys, I love and appreciate you. Peace.